Now, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honour, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Thanks, Rebecca. Well, uh, good to see you along tonight. My name's Ross. I'm one of the pastors here at Ginali, and it's great to be with you. Good to be in God's Word and thinking about what it means for our lives. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump in and see what Philippians 2 uh, means for us in the here and now. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, I thank you for your love. I thank you that uh, you do speak to us. I thank you that in your Word, uh, we can find the truth out about life. I pray for us tonight that you continue to grow us, shape us, and mould us, help us to reflect on your goodness and to see you more clearly. We pray all these things in Jesus' righteous name. Amen. Well, friends, we're coming to the end of the year, and uh, almost every year I feel like I say, I can't believe how fast this year has gone. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I do that. And, um, and really, probably every year just goes the same speed. It just feels different. But at the end of the year, it's an interesting time, isn't it? It's often a time for reflection and review. Maybe you've just finished uh, some uni exams and you're awaiting some results to see how you went. Uh, Did you pass the subjects you needed to pass or not? Maybe you finished uh, the HSC and uh, you know that the time is ticking away before you find out what next year brings. Uh, Maybe you've got uh, an appointment booked into your work diary for an upcoming performance review at the end of the year and you're kind of wondering, am I going to get my bonus? Am I not getting my bonus? Am I going to get fired? What's the year to come uh, look like? It's often uh, that moment, isn't it? As we uh, look back on the year that's been, we're asking the question, how's it been? How am I going? Often uh, we say things uh, as we review, like, what does good look like in this situation? And we ask it in all sorts of formal ways, like I just said, work, uni, school. But we also ask it in informal ways, don't we? Often, uh, as we get to the end of the year, we're wondering what kind of year we've had. Maybe you're pondering in the back of your mind, have you been a good friend this year? As the year kind of comes to a close, you're wondering, have I uh, spoken in nice and kind ways? Have I helped the people that I love and care about? Have you been a good friend? Maybe uh, as you start doing Christmas things with your family and you look ahead to uh, the Christmas lunch or whatever, you're kind of wondering, have I been a good son or, or daughter? Have I loved my parents well? Maybe uh, on the flip side, uh, as a parent, you're kind of wondering, 
Am I doing a good job as a mum? Am I doing a good job as a dad? What does good look like? It's a great question, I think, for us. It helps us to know how to measure where we're going, what needs to change, what do we need to keep on doing. But it's also a great question not just to ask about those kind of other parts of our lives, but also to think about in terms of our faith as well. I wonder if you've ever asked the question, what does good look like when it comes to serving Jesus? What's a good servant of Jesus? On one hand, it kind of feels a little, I don't know, ironic maybe, or it kind of feels like the wrong question, doesn't it? You might remember uh, when Jesus is put on the spot in the Gospels, he says, no one is good but God alone. On one hand, only God is truly good, and we're not good. But on the other hand, uh, we see through the Bible that uh, there is a sense in which uh, good looks like something when it comes to serving Jesus. Uh, Jesus tells a parable in the Gospels where uh, a master lends out money and he tells the servants to go and invest it. And at the end, one of them comes back, he's done a great job, and do you remember what the master says to him? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And those two words are really important. See, in the Bible, uh, we get these two words tied together, good and faithful. What does good look like? What has something to do with faithfulness? And so what I want to do tonight, as we look at Philippians chapter 2, is I want us to kind of think into this idea of what does it mean to be a good and faithful servant of Jesus. We know that uh, when we put our faith in Jesus, when we're saved, we're welcomed into his family. We're given gifts and we're given opportunities to to serve. And this service, it's not just for kind of one hour on a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday night. It's, it's meant to be our whole lives. So it's a question that kind of matters. Like work, you know, that's a part of our life. Being a friend, that's significant, but it's a, a part of our life. This is our whole life we're talking about. So it's a critical question for us to ask and to reflect on. What is a good and faithful servant of Jesus? Well, that's where we're going. Philippians chapter 2, that's really what 19 to 30 is all about. Now, these verses are kind of quirky. As you read through them, you might have been thinking, what am I reading here? Like on one hand, it feels like uh, the kind of logistical part of the letter. Paul starts talking about uh, who's who and uh, how he's going to send Timothy, but then he decides not to send Timothy and he wants to come to the Philippians, but he's not going to. And so instead he's going to send Epaphroditus who came to him from Philippi, and now he's going to send him back, and he almost died, but be nice to him when he comes back. And it's kind of like, what (laughs) What am I reading here? It's like a travel journal. Um, It's odd. But as is always the way in the Bible, often the most mundane things have such powerful meaning if you slow down and notice what's happening. That's the same in these verses as well. There's meaning in the mundane. And so what I want to do now is just slow us down, and I want to show you six things about being a good and faithful servant that thread their way through these verses. And as we do that, I want you to think about your own life. Maybe you are someone who uh, is pursuing a life-serving Jesus. Maybe that's not something that's a part of your life right now. And I want to hopefully, as we look at Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul, give you a picture that inspires you to continue to serve Jesus with all you've got for all of your life. Well, let's jump in and have a look. If you closed uh, your Bibles then that was a mistake, but that's all right. We forgive you. Open them back up to Philippians. We're going to have a look at what Paul has to say. 
Well, what's the first thing that we learn about being a faithful servant of Jesus? Here it is. It's about depending on God. Have a look, verse 19 with me. Now, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. Notice what he hopes in? What's he put his hope in? In the Lord. Then, flick down with me, verse 24. I am confident in the Lord. Notice what Paul is doing there right at the start. What does he put his hope in? Where is his confidence? What's he depending on? It's the Lord Jesus. See, for Paul, as he considers uh, his service, as he considers his plans and his priorities, he knows that deep down his hope and his confidence, they have to be in God. In this world, it's so easy for us to put our trust, our hope, our confidence in other things, isn't it? It's so easy for us to maybe trust in ourselves and our own strength. We think, okay, I've got to do this task. I've got to summon some inner strength. I've got to use all of my array of charismatic gifts, and then I might nail this thing. We trust in ourselves. Well, sometimes uh, we don't do that. We trust in other people. We think, oh, if this person is a part of the team, then we will achieve amazing success. Then it will work. But if they're not, it's going to be a rough time. Or we think, no, no, it's not about me or another person. It's about the right strategy or about the right system or about the right environment. It's so human, so natural to put our hope and our confidence in other things. But Paul is reminding us, no, no, you've got to put your hope in the Lord. And the reason we do that is because Jesus is the Lord. He uses the word Lord there very deliberately. Uh, Nothing he ever says is an accident. It's a reminder about who Jesus is. Jesus is the Lord. The word Lord uh, means king. It means that Jesus is in charge of the world. And so, of course, he's the one we put our hope and our confidence in, right? If he's the one who's in charge, that means that every single thing that happens, every plan, every priority, every program is dependent on Jesus doing what he will do. We might try our best, have the exact right people and have the exact right program and it still might not work because Jesus decided that wasn't to be. Or we might do a terrible job and we might have all the wrong sort of people. We might have an absolutely ridiculous strategy, but for some unknown reason, Jesus decides to bless it. You see, what we should trust in at the end of the day is God. And I think this means two things for us. Uh, Firstly, it encourages us to pray doesn't it? If God is the one who brings the growth, if God is the one who takes our works and he makes something come, then we should be humbly dependent on him in prayer. We should bring our things before God and every serving opportunity, every ministry program, we should commit it to him and pray that he will do what he will do and be comforted that sometimes he chooses not to. Secondly, it takes away a reason, I think, that many of us don't do things. See, for many of us, uh, maybe we sit here and we think, I do not know if I could do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not skilled enough. (laughs) I don't have the right kind of abilities or gifts or strength. There's a little subtle encouragement here that it's not about us. You might not feel like you're all that, but that's not what's important. What's important is who you're depending on. So that's number one. What does a good and faithful servant look like? It looks like depending on God. That brings us to our second one. Good and faithful servants 
are outward focused. Good and faithful servants are outward focused. Often when you look at passages in the Bible, it's really important to notice the words that are repeated. I'm sure you've heard this uh, before. You've got to look for what words they keep on bringing up because it shows you a theme usually. And did you notice what word is repeated here? It's the word send. Four times in 11 verses, Paul comes back to this idea. And in one hand, that makes total sense, right? He literally is talking about travel plans. So the word send is going to come up. But on a deeper level, it reflects something that we know is true of the nature of Paul's life and the heart of serving Jesus. That it's about going where the gospel needs to go. You see that in his life, don't you? If you, if you know much of the life of Paul, uh, he comes to faith, Jesus opens his eyes, and what does he do? Well, he spends the rest of his life going wherever the gospel hasn't been, spreading the good news of Jesus. And whenever he can't get somewhere, he takes one of his friends and he sends them instead. He's got this almost obsessive way of just getting the gospel out there to all the ends of the earth. He's constantly outward focused. And I think this is a helpful little reminder for us as a church as well. That's so naturally tempting, I think, for us to be focused kind of in this room and to be inward focused, isn't it? Particularly a church like this, a congregation like this, there's a lot of people in the room. The music's good, the supper's good, there's people to talk to after church, you don't have to be on a roster every single week and do three different things. We can kind of just get comfy, but we can't do that. That's really dangerous, in fact. There's a good reminder for us. We've got to keep looking outward. We've got to keep asking the question, what do we need to do as a church to make sure that these chairs, look around at them, there's heaps of empty ones, become full of people who don't know Jesus so that people who are lost, so that people who are going to spend eternity apart from God can come home. What does it look like for us as a church to be outward focused? Next year, uh, we have our Share Life Month coming up in March, a great opportunity to invite people along. We've got our Christmas services, we've got carols, heaps of opportunities. Who can you invite? How can you be outward focused in your approach to life and serving Jesus? That's number two. Number three, uh, faithful and good servants of Jesus know that it's a team effort. Serving Jesus is a team effort. Uh, So often we can make it a solo task, But that is absolutely not the way that we see these people operate in our passage today. Have a look with me at how Paul describes them. Have a look at verse 22 with me. But you know, he's speaking about Timothy here, I should say, but you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. And then have a look uh, down a little bit lower, verse 25. Listen to how he describes Epaphroditus. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. Notice the nature of those words he used. It's not you as a brave explorer going out to achieve something on your own. That's not what serving Jesus is. No, serving Jesus is like soldiers. It's like co-workers. It's like team members. Serving Jesus is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. It's something we do together. And that's really beautiful and powerful. We rely on each other. We know that sometimes we need help. We need lifting up when we're down. We need other people to do things that we're just not as good at. 
and we can step in and fill the void that other people have as well. It's not a solo game, it's a team effort. And one of the beautiful things about that is when you serve alongside people, there are beautiful, deep, relational opportunities. You notice the way he talked about Timothy? Like a father and a son. That's so powerful, isn't it? See, when we serve alongside people, uh, it's not just about completing a job or a task. It's about working together. It's about encouraging one another in the faith. It's about getting to know people on a deeper level, opportunities to spur each other on, to pray for one another. There's something beautiful and deep, a sense of connection that comes when we serve Jesus together. Maybe you've experienced that at some point in your life when you've served together. So number three, serving Jesus faithfully is a team effort. Number four, being a good and faithful servant of Jesus is about loving people despite the cost. It's about loving people despite the cost. We see this uh, a few places, I think, but really clearly we see it right at the top in verse 20. Have a look at verse 20. He says, For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. That's Timothy. What about Epaphroditus? Have a look at verse 26. Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. See the hearts of these two servants of Jesus? What are they doing and why are they doing it? They're doing it because they love people. They're inspired to serve because they think people matter and they have a deep longing to love them deeply. I think that's really important for us to remember We serve in a way that loves people. We don't serve just to tick a box, just to complete a task. We don't serve to meet some kind of standard that we think some divine overlord has over us so that he won't be angry. No, we serve out of love. In fact, every time we serve, it should be and ultimately is an expression of love. Think about for a second other people who do the welcoming. Their job is not to hand out name tags. That's not the job, okay? That's part of it, but their job is to stand there and to provide a warm welcome to people who come into our church, to help every single person who walks through the door to feel like this is a place that they can belong, to feel like there are people here who care about them and want to help them come to know Jesus. It's an expression of love. Think about the people uh, on the sound desk. On one hand, yes, their job is about plugging the right chords into the right spots. It's about getting the right levels. But ultimately, those things are a means to an end, aren't they? An end of love. To help people who sit in this building, to help you be able to hear the word of God preached, to help people worship without distraction, and to help people come into an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus every single week. Everything we do is ultimately about loving people. Maybe you can come and chat to me later about what your thing is and I can help you see how it's not just a task, there's something much deeper going on. And the nature of this kind of service is ultimately that it's costly. See, if it's just about ticking the box, you can probably do that in a way that doesn't cost you very much. You can cut corners, you could arrive arrive late and kind of get it done. But if you truly love people, it costs you. You see that in... Epaphroditus' life, don't you? He almost dies for the sake 
of the gospel. Now, not many of us will encounter that in this life, but true, beautiful, wholehearted service of Jesus will come at a cost. And so when you experience that, when you feel the costly nature with your time or your money or your uh, friendships, don't shrink back. Don't think that's a sign that I should stop. Sometimes that's what we think, right? We're almost taught subtly to think pain is bad. Pain means stop what you're doing. But that's ridiculous. Imagine exercising with that same kind of mentality. That means I would run for about 30 metres every time and I just kind of quit it and uh, go and get my power rate and walk home and think, nailed it. <laughs> Great run. No, no, we, we have to exercise. We push through the pain and it's a sign that sometimes we're doing it exactly right. Serving Jesus is about loving people even when it costs us. That's number four for us. Number five, uh, serving people, sorry, serving Jesus is not about ourselves, but ultimately about serving the interests of the gospel. We see this again in both of these uh, servants of Jesus. Have a look with me at verse 21. Listen to how he describes Timothy as opposed to all of the other people. He says, verse 21, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And then uh, verse 30, listen to how he describes Epaphroditus. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ. These are two really powerful ideas, aren't they? The interest of Christ and the work of Christ. We can have all sorts of selfish interests, can't we, to do certain things? Uh, even serving Jesus, weirdly. Uh, maybe we serve Jesus because we want to look good in front of other people. We want people to uh, like us. We want to feel important and significant in other people's life. It kind of fills us up. Or maybe uh, we serve Jesus because we're hoping to get some kind of benefit or reward. We maybe do it because we want things to be a certain way and we want to control the outcome. And so if we serve Jesus, we can get things the way we want them. All of these things are our own interests, aren't they? But he reminds us with the example of Timothy, no, no, it's not about you. It's not about what's good for you, what you want, about working hard for you. It's about the gospel. It's about Jesus. It's about what matters to Jesus. And it's not just the interest. It's also the work. You see, it reminds us about the place that we should put our energy. We put it not just in the work of building the kingdom of Ross or building your own little kingdom. No, it's about building the kingdom of God. It's about doing the work of Jesus. We have so many things that could fill our time. I guess that you feel that even more than ever before right now. We live busy lives. Post-COVID, it feels like uh, everything's gone to 110%. But there's a good reminder here. The thing that we need to strip back is not the work of the gospel. We need to keep that front and centre. Serving Jesus is about the gospel. It's not about your own interests. So when it comes to church, when it comes to our own lives, this is a good reminder to keep thinking, okay, what do I need to do to make sure that the work of God to see people one for Jesus continues to happen? Are there any things that I like, any preferences that I have that I need to not worry too much about? Maybe I've got to not be too concerned about uh, the time of the service that I go to or the exact music that gets played or the way something happens. Because, yeah, sure, I like it a certain way, but actually what serves Jesus 
is for it to look like this. It's good for us to reflect. What do we need to do to make sure that the interests and the work of Christ go first and our own preferences and ourselves go second? Finally, we come to number six. I hope you're hanging in there still. Last one. Uh, You can take a little breath. What is number six? Well, it's to receive with joy and to honour those who serve us. To receive service with joy and to honour those who serve us. We see this really powerfully in the example of Epaphroditus. Have a look with me at verse 29. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honour. The story of Epaphroditus is a fascinating little story. We don't see much of Epaphroditus in the New Testament, but what we learn in many ways is that Epaphroditus was a failure, actually. Epaphroditus was sent out from the church uh, of Philippi to go to Paul. His job was to deliver uh, almost like a package, a care package. Kind of think about it like that. Think about COVID, getting something nice in the mail. That's kind of the vibe. He's the one who goes. And he's meant to stay and continue the work with Paul. He's like the representative from the Philippian church. But what happens is he kind of gets the first part done. He gives the package. But somewhere along the way, we don't know when, He falls ill, seriously ill, ill to the point that he's going to die. Eventually, in God's kindness, he brings him health and he brings him back to the point of life. But at some point along that way, Paul realises that it's no longer best for him to stay and serve and so he's kind of sent home. You can imagine uh, how that would have felt to be Epaphroditus in that scenario. You can imagine how it would feel for the church themselves. This person they sent out is coming home. How do they respond to him? What does he say? He says, respond with joy and honour him and those like him. I wonder how you respond to other people you see serving. I wonder what happens in your heart when you see someone serving and being successful. Does it bring you joy? Do you think, I'm so glad that God is doing that good work through that person? the effectiveness that is happening there? Or is there maybe a little part of you that thinks, "Ah, I wish that was me. Maybe there's a little bit of bitter resentment. There's an encouragement here to step back and to see the bigger picture, to respond with joy when we're served and when we see gospel ministry happen. It's beautiful. And at the same time, we're also reminded to honour those people who serve us and who lead us. I think... A part of being Australian means that you have a healthy dose of scepticism towards leadership. That's kind of in our blood, right? I think from the maternity wards, we get something plugged into us, into our bloodstream, and we're instantly just taught to kind of think, nah, leaders is something I don't trust there. I want to kind of bring them down a a slot. We like to cut down the tall poppies. It's kind of how we roll, isn't it? We like that. We do that naturally. I think. It's very different to a lot of other cultures. A lot of other cultures will hold up leaders. They'll really esteem them, but we like to kind of cut them out of the knees. Uh, it works best that way. Keep them humble, I say. And maybe you feel that a little bit when you are led by others. Maybe uh, your Bible study leader has some quirks, some strange ways of doing things, and you kind of find yourself driving home in the car thinking, well, that was odd again, wasn't it? Weirdo. Um, Maybe that's you. Maybe you have this natural tendency to sort of uh, just almost accidentally 
deride the people who lead you. There's a good encouragement here, that we're meant to honour and lift up the people who lead us. We're meant to see those people who serve us and thank God for them. We're meant to think, not naturally in critical ways and try to find out all the problems and the weaknesses and focus on them, but actually to find the good, to be thankful, to wonder how we can support them and hold them up. Serving Jesus faithfully, being a good and faithful servant, means responding with joy and honouring those who serve us. So these are the six things. Uh, As we try to take a step back and think, what does good look like? Well, it's these six things. It's depending on God. It's being outward focused. It's having a sense of a team effort. It's loving people despite the cost. It's serving the interests of Jesus, not your own. And it's about responding with joy and honouring those who lead you. It's a powerful little picture, isn't it? But on the other hand, it's also quite a big picture. It's kind of a lot to take in and a lot to kind of go, how am I going uh, with all of these things? As I was thinking about it this week, uh, the thing that I just kept coming back to was how much Jesus is a beautiful reflection of these six things, isn't he? We read in the Gospels uh, about Jesus. He says, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, these six things, they're actually a beautiful reflection of the shape and the nature of Jesus' life. They paint for us a wonderful picture of the gospel message. If you just slow down and think about what the gospel is on about, think about Jesus, you see how these six things play out. We know, of course, that Jesus was sent. He had this outward focus. He was sent by the Father on a mission. Jordan, could you flick to a slide? Uh, A couple more. One more for me, mate. Two more. There we go. Uh, He was sent uh, from the Father on a mission. What was the mission? The mission was to love people in a costly and sacrificial way. This love played itself out alongside others in teamwork. And as he did that, throughout his service, what do we see constantly? We see Jesus depending on God. And this dependence, what did it do? Well, it led him all the way to the cross, where he didn't serve his own interests, but he did the work of God. He completed the mission. He died to save sinners. And all through that time, we see him respond with joy and honour those who served him and served alongside him. Epaphroditus and Timothy, what they're doing is showing us ultimately a beautiful and wonderful picture of Jesus. They're showing us a picture of how Jesus served us. You see, we're not just called to be servants of Jesus. We are people who've been served by Jesus in the most remarkable way. Served by Jesus to the point of death. And so people who receive this kind of service, we're now called to have that same attitude, that same disposition, that same way of life that Jesus had. So serve like you have been served, is the message of Philippians chapter 2. And so as we think about our our everyday lives, uh, there's a couple of things for us to reflect on. The first thing uh, is for us to just be encouraged, I think, 
the more I thought about this passage this week, the more different people came into my mind. The more people I could think of in our church who are serving in beautiful and wonderful ways. The way people are serving in costly ways. The way people are putting aside their own interests and working hard for Jesus. The way people have this beautiful outward focus. The way people depend on God despite their own imperfections and weaknesses. I love that. I love how many people in this room give so much of their time and their energy and their money and their effort to see the work of the gospel happen. How good is that, actually? We should be so thankful for each other. We should be so encouraged. At the same time, passages like this, they're also an opportunity for reflection. Every now and then, uh, we need little moments where we can pause and have a little kind of recalibration moment. I was thinking about it this week. Uh, my son, Harry, he has one of those little like trolleys that teach kids how to walk, and he's obsessed with it at the moment. And uh, he often wants me to take the trolley and to put it in the middle of the hallway. And usually what he does is he'll come up behind it, he'll stand up and he'll hold on, and he'll just start going down the hallway. And he'll kind of get a good two metres, and then every single time, without fail, he's just kind of into the wall. And then he'll just kind of hit it against the wall, and eventually he'll come good. And, uh, or he'll just screech at me and I have to come and kind of straighten him up. And how much is that just such a picture of our lives as well, isn't it? And serving Jesus. So often we start out with the best intentions. We start out on the straight path. We're kind of going, but then over time we just notice we're in the wall. We're just going again. We need little moments to recalibrate. Moments to reflect on, are we serving Jesus faithfully? Have we kind of lost our picture? Have we got lost somewhere along the way? So maybe tonight is a moment for you. Maybe as you sit here, you're actually not serving Jesus. Maybe you have recently come to faith and you're kind of still trying to figure it out. Well, maybe tonight is an opportunity for you to do that. Just think about how you can take some steps towards serving Jesus with your whole life. Maybe you don't know Jesus at all. And maybe that little picture of service for you sparks some thoughts and some questions. If it does, come and chat to me. Or maybe somewhere along the way, as you've served Jesus, you've just got a little off course. Maybe you have just become too task-orientated. Maybe you have come and become a little critical of your leaders and a little bit resentful. Maybe you've stopped depending on God and you're just trying to do it all under your own stream. I don't know what it is for you. But maybe tonight is an opportunity to recalibrate and to come back to this wonderful picture. See, serving Jesus is significant. It's what we're called to do with our whole lives. And, uh, and it's important to do because this is what God has called us to do. And so often, he blesses it. He uses our service to achieve amazing uh, things. I was thinking about uh, this week. I uh, recently finished a, a Tim Winton book. I don't know how many of you know uh, Tim Winton, but I really love Tim Winton's writing. One of the things I love about it is how often uh, he's dealing with issues of good and bad and right and wrong and kind of lurking behind the words is always this kind of interesting idea of God. kind of just sits there. It's never mentioned, but it sits there. And, uh, and part of the reason, I think, for that is something that happened in Tim's childhood. I don't know if you've heard this story before, uh, but Tim uh, grew up in Australia, out in Perth. Uh, grew up in a pretty regular kind of suburban Western Australian family. A mum and a dad... Uh, His dad was a policeman, a motorcycle policeman. Uh, When Tim was five, one night, 
uh, his dad was coming home from work riding his motorbike. An errant driver on the highway crossed over and hit him head on. Tim's dad amazingly survived the crash, but he was a shell of the man he was before. All of a sudden, uh, this big bulky figure in Tim's life, this pillar of strength, this picture of what it meant to be a good person was crippled in bed. Couldn't get out. Taking medication that was making him a different person that was kind of eating him up from the inside. He's a five-year-old kid. It's the age of my eldest daughter, Rosie, watching this happen. You can imagine the tragedy and the difficulty of that moment. One day, uh, there's a knock on the door. There's a man at the door who uh, Tim's mom has never met before. She opens it up and he introduces himself. We don't know the man's name. The man explains that he's a member of the local church. He's heard about what happened uh, to Tim's dad and he's wondering if there's anything he can do. As they discuss and make some plans, uh, eventually what happens is that this man comes to the Winton household every single morning. Tim's dad is a big man. Tim's mum can't get him out of bed in the morning. So uh, he takes Tim's dad and he lifts him up. He carries him to the bath every day and he bathes him. You can imagine the conversations they had. He's a complete stranger. The way they talk about Jesus, the way he explains what he did and why he did it. Eventually, Tim's dad recovers to the point of being able to get out of the house again. Do you know where he goes? He goes to the church that the man came from with his wife and his kids. And Tim's dad and Tim's mum, they come to know Jesus as their personal saviour. Then they buy a van and they drive around the kind of rough suburbs of Perth every Sunday and they pick up all the kids that he knew from his time as a policeman and they bring them to church. And tons of young people come to faith through that simple act. Good and faithful servants, it's a powerful thing to be. Sometimes God blesses it in amazing ways. But even if he doesn't, there's a powerful picture of Jesus as we serve and a good reminder to keep on seeking out the king who served us as we serve others. Amen.